number 10 of Brendan Taylor. Adams has got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. It's 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, Tegan! Deep in Wigan. Glenn Maxwell celebrates Rick Coley. Cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. And if you joined us for the first time and uh, perhaps you're listening to the podcast via a friend or family member and you'd like to subscribe, that's pretty simple really. All you do is you go to your preferred podcast app, be it uh, Apple Podcasts, be it uh, Spotify, Overcast, Downcast, you search for Dean at Stumps and you subscribe and you get to listen to some fantastic interviews with the like of Michael Holding, David Gower, Sean Pollock, uh, Adam Holyoke and many, many more. And uh, now it also gives me a huge amount of pleasure to welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast one of the finest batsmen uh, test cricket the modern era of test cricket has ever produced. I am, of course, referring to Sri Lankan batsman, former Sri Lankan batsman, Kumar Sangakara. Kumar, how are you? And thank you for joining us on Dean at Stumps. It's a pleasure, Dean. Thank you for having me on. It's been quite a, quite a while since I spoke to you, but uh, things have been very well. Um, you know, it, it's been a bit of a different reality now with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Sri Lanka's handled it very, very well. Um, the country's opened up, not for international travel as such yet, yeah. but that will happen in August. But uh, yeah, things uh, since retirement uh, and beyond cricket have been have been going very well. It, it's quite interesting that Sri Lanka have handled it so very well. I wonder what why that would be. What, in your opinion, do you think it will be that Sri Lanka have handled it so much better than so many of the other countries, e- even on the subcontinent, I guess? Well, I think, uh, number one, being a small island would probably help. Yeah. Uh, uh, number two, I think the government was very proactive in taking steps to, to uh, you know, shut down the airport, have uh, everything in lockdown, curfew imposed, uh, frontline health workers, uh, uh, tri-forces, the, the, um, the army, the navy, and the air force, and, and the police, um, in combination, have been excellent in... Um, in uh, doing their duties diligently and professionally so that the people can be safeguarded and the best possible processes put in place. I don't think any country can, um, can get it perfect. Um, but Sri Lanka has been, um, uh, whatever steps they have taken, seems to have uh, made things uh, a lot better for the country and its people. Of course, there are a few infections that you still have daily. Uh, we probably uh, need to extend our testing programs more extensively as well. But, but as of now, we've had, um, I think, just under 2,000 cases with about 10 deaths. Um, and we had a lot of uh, expatriate workers, Sri Lankan expat workers, who came back to the island. Um, and some of them carried in, in infections as well. But, you know, any Sri Lankan citizen must be given, uh, you know, every right to come back to their home country and any government of any country is completely responsible for taking care of their own citizens and having them return and repatriate themselves to their country um, when, when, when they want to. So the government has, has done a great job. 
Yes, yes, they certainly have. It certainly seems that way. Now, Kumara, before we start talking a bit about your playing days, um, I believe many congratulations are in order for those of you who didn't know it. Kumar is now the president of the MCC. And if my memory serves me correctly, um, you are the first non-British or non-Brit to be the president of the MCC. Is, is that correct? Well, yes, yes, that's what I have been told as well. But no, uh, yes, I've, yeah, the, the, the first uh, uh, non-British, uh, yes, um, we, we're just having a 233rd annual general meeting on the 24th. Uh, it's been an exciting year for MCC. 2019 itself was brilliant for the club, especially on the world stage with the uh, in the World Cup final being hosted and what a marvellous match that was. Uh, the redevelopment of the Compton and Edbridge stands. Of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has put um, kind of a, a spoke in the, in the wheel of, uh, um, uh, of, of all that progress. But uh, I think the committee and the club is, is, is acting really quickly. They're alive and well to the challenges that are facing them. Uh, and we'll all get through this together. Yes, absolutely. So uh, if uh, now that you are the president of the MCC, is there anything different you would like to do? Because sometimes we, we, te we seem to or we tend to follow the same old rut, really, you know, and, and or same pattern with slightly different variations. Is there something totally new that you as a Sri Lankan would like to bring to the table in, as, while you are in charge or while you are the president? Yeah, I, I don't think there will be, uh, it, it is possible to have a whole scale, uh, you know, complete 360 turnaround or change or drastic change. It's a club that's been around for so long um, and change happens. It's been very, very proactive. It's actually been at the cutting edge of a lot of the innovations uh, of cricket in the, uh, if you, you know, especially in the last 30 to 40 years, um, uh, you know, from being the first club to play, to pay. Uh, women to play professional cricket, uh, to a lot of the innovations that we see in terms of rules and embracing technology, so on and so forth. Um, at the same time, we're a members club. We have 18,000 members, 5,000 associate members. So um, uh, we own Lords, of course, the, you know, the home of cricket. So the responsibilities are many and varied, and um, we have to ensure that we we put on the best possible uh, spectator experience at Lords, make it the best venue in the world, and at the same time ensure that we are responsible to our members uh, in terms of what they want out of their membership, the experience that they have, um, and the fact that they are able to come and enjoy not just the rich tradition and history of Lords, but also enjoyed in a setting that gives them, uh, you know, the, the, the best value, the best experience and the best memories that they can then, you know, pass on to their children uh, and future generations. So um, for me personally, um, it's been interesting to, to, you know, first understand how the uh, how and what that uh, the, uh, what the role exactly is. Um, the president is not an executive part of the club, but at the same time, uh, he or she has a huge responsibility in terms of understanding how and where 
uh, the president would like to see his influence most felt. Uh, in my view, um, one of the things I really wanted to do was embrace uh, taking cricket back to Pakistan and hopefully encourage countries around the world to commit to touring Pakistan, of course, dependent completely on the security situation there. Uh, it is so lovely to take uh, the MCC team to Pakistan. We had a wonderful tour there, and I think it really did a lot to try and get uh, countries to come back and play cricket in, in Pakistan. Uh, also with the MCC Foundation, um, uh, working with children, working with uh, the, the cricketing boroughs and taking cricket more to the communities and opening up laws to kids and young and, 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 and young people more and more. Those are things that, you know, I've, I've really got involved in and have, uh, have got a lot of um, pleasure and reward from. I love this initiative of wanting to take cricket back to Pakistan, Kumar, because you, of course, were involved in the unfortunate incident when the, your bus was attacked by gunmen back in 2009. And I suppose your, your natural sort of fight and flight um, response would be, I don't particularly want to go back there again because of the memories that it has. And yet everybody who has actually been to Pakistan speaks of it as a cricket-loving uh, and in you know a peace-loving sort of a nation that where people really make you feel very at home when you, when you tour Pakistan. Ah, oh, but I mean the people are unbelievably hospitable. They open up their homes to you. Uh, they love their cricket. They're so passionate about it. I mean, when we were on the MCC tour, from the time we landed at the airport, people were you know coming up to us and saying thank you for coming and thank you for coming back to play cricket. You know, we're so happy to see you. Um, we played the, the, our first game at the Lahore or Gaddafi Stadium. We had almost 20,000 people there, wow. you know, it, and they were all, you know, screaming their, their lungs out. They were so happy. Um, the hotel, the security arrangements, everything was absolutely top notch. We never felt threatened. Uh, we never felt overwhelmed or uh, impeded by the security arrangements, but they were there. We knew that we were very well looked after. They were thoroughly professional. And we managed to not just play cricket. We also managed to have a few golf days. We went to the, the fort. Um, so it was, uh, we went to HSN College. We were hosted to dinner there. And what a wonderful school that was. Um, so the overall touring experience was excellent. Uh, you know, sometimes you feel that when the security arrangements are such that it'll just be to the ground, back to the hotel and nothing else. But they did take the time to ensure at enormous, um, I think, uh, uh, difficulty to, to them to ensure that we had a full experience. Um, and I think, you know, it'll take, a, it'll take countries like Australia and England touring Pakistan to really break uh, the, that kind of reluctance to tour and have other countries commit quickly as well. Uh, but if you imagine, Dean, you know, a lot of their young cricketers in Pakistan, the Barbar Azams uh, of, you know, the, the, these exceptional cricketers have hardly played a single game in front of their whole fans, yes. you know, in their own country. And that's a, that's a huge issue. Uh, also in terms of finances for the for the Pakistan Cricket Board, you know, inbound home tours, the costs they have to incur to try and have a neutral venue in the UAE, you know, all of this adds up over the years. And Pakistan cricket being strong is essential for world cricket. And they're such a, a, a vibrant nation. They, they produce some of the greatest cricketers in the world. Uh, and so it is essential that they do have the ability at some point very soon to host international countries 
um, in Pakistan. Gosh, wouldn't it be just so nice if uh, if the world was a bit more perfect and we can have uh, we could have the, we could have Pakistan once again hosting players. We could have the West Indies back to their former glory of the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties. Wouldn't Test cricket? I mean, to to try and also get Test cricket back on the map where it belongs again, ahead of all the T Twenty cricket. And I understand that there's significance to T Twenty cricket, but for the true cricket connoisseur to once again really have good battles between bat and ball. Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful if, if, the, if the world was a bit more perfect, Kumar, and if, if we could see a bit more well, of that? We can all wish for that, Dean. Yes, we can all, yeah, we can all wish for that. Hopefully, you never know. But at least, at least in terms of taking proactive steps, uh, having sport transcend petty politics and, and, and petty division, I think those are the steps that, that all sportsmen and women around the world and uh, the, the, the requisite sporting bodies and administrators around the world must keep paramount in their minds and hearts that this sport has a very special power to unite, bring together um, and, and really lift the human spirit mm-hmm. and I think that has to always be one of the mainstays of playing sport around the world Kumar, if you may, I'd like you to please take us back to your, your childhood days, growing up in Candy um, you, you've told some wonderful stories before, but of course, it's always good to hear it on a podcast, even if it's a, an insignificant little podcast from Harari. Um, <laughs> t- tell us about your, your day, what it was like growing up in Candy, the environment that you, that you played your cricket, that you learned your cricket, and also the massive influence of your father that he, he had uh, in ensuring that you started to love and respect the game of cricket the way you do. Yeah, well, coincidentally, I'm in Candy at the moment, actually, with my parents. It's my, fa- it's my father's 80th birthday today. So uh, the whole family was down here. And it's always nice to come back to the place where I grew up. Um, and I'm walking in the garden as I'm talking to you. And this is where we, you know, were playing cricket with our neighborhood friends, tennis ball, cricket. Once in a while, my father would get a leather ball and, and, and start, you know, giving us some throwdowns. But I was uh, never really an avid cricket until I was about 15 um, plus because I was playing a lot of other sports, which included tennis that I played till 16. Uh, but one of the things my father insisted when we were very young is that whatever we did, we had to do it well. And if we were dedicating a lot of time to it, we had to understand not just the technicalities of the sport, yeah. but also the culture of it. So we had to read up on it, um, have conversations with him on it. And he insisted that if he did play cricket, and when I did, that my technique had to be perfect, that it was a very technical sport. So I was, I was coached by him from a young age, and he took me to quite a few coaches around, um, around Candy. And one of them, Mr. Sunil Fernando, was the coach that really stuck with me right throughout my international career as well. So even after I had scored my 10,000 test run, whenever I came to Candy, my father would take me back to Mr. Sunil Fernando in the little cement nets Good. next to a school called St. Anthony's College. Um, um, and I would still have throwdowns on the cement net uh, for a couple of hours. He would go through my entire setup, my grip, my backlift um, to see if anything's changed over the, you know, over, the, over the 15 years or so that I played international cricket. Plus, of course, uh, you know, the, the time before that under him uh, learning, learning the game. So it's been a really grounding experience for me right throughout my career that every time, whether I scored 100 or 200 internationally, that I always had this support structure to come back to and really recheck my game 
and revisit uh, the basics whenever I wanted to. I went to Trinity College in Kandy, which is which is an exceptional school. They're going to be a, 150 years old very very soon ah. as a, as a school. Um, and we were one of the very few sco- schools in the world, I would say, that actually owned an international test cricketing ground. I played school cricket uh, plus test cricket. I've scored a school 100 plus an international test 100 on my school ground, Asgiria. So it's, it was very special to grow up in this school. Um, it had a, a great curriculum. Um, it had a, a huge amount of history and tradition. Um, um, so, uh, and it encouraged people to be all around us, not just academics or academic, academically qualified people. They just, they wanted students to experience, you know, and the, the entire, you know, schoolboy lifestyle of, of going to class. Yes. But also insisted on, on sports on literary activities, uh, so on and so forth. So I was very, very lucky to, to have had that, uh, had that, uh, growing up. Absolutely. Now, one of the very f- first test hundreds I remember you scoring, Kumar, was a very, very good hundred in Durban, South Africa, back in, that would have been 2000, 2001. And, and I remember a lot of people were, in the late 1990s, were a little concerned for Sri Lankan cricket because Arjuna Ranatunga and Aravinda de Silva had been the backbone of the middle order, batting at four and five, respectively, de Silva at four and Ranatunga at five. And, and they were concerned that they wouldn't really be, uh, you know, those two, or that the, that the two batsmen who would bat at four and five wouldn't really be able to fill the gap that de Silva and Ranatunga would leave. But you and Mahela Jayawarna did, in my opinion, a bit more than that. So you were at number three, Mahel at number four, but your roles were very similar. You being the left-hander like Arjuna and Mahela being the right-hander like Aravinda was. But uh, the one thing that you did very differently to Aravinda and Arjuna was that you ro- also made sure that you rotated the strike uh, with a lot more uh, um, enthusiasm, I guess I could say. But that hundred was, was the, that very, I, I'm sure it wasn't your first hundred, but it was certainly very early on in your career against a good bowling attack in Durban. I remember it very well. How much do you actually remember about that hundred? Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, if I remember, I scored 70 out in Durban and then I got 98 being last man out. Um, ah, yes. Ascension in 2000, 2001. Um, if, uh, going back to the late 90s, I mean, Aravinda was, was an exceptional cricketer. He's always in my top five of my greatest ever batsmen. It was, you know, unbelievable to watch him. He really picked up after 1993. He was always super talented, but I don't think he was in a side that really pushed him to become, you know, a true great. Yes. Uh, until that 93, in 1993 passed, he went to Kent, he came back, you know, a player that was even more hungry for runs and would found a new method of accumulating, you know, those runs. Uh, great on the short ball, great hands, great against spin, you know, which is very unusual for a subcontinental batsman. Arjuna, of course, batted in, in, in the middle order in four, in number four, uh, sorry, number five, six, and later on a little bit lower down. Um, but Arjuna's real contribution was in the one-day game. I think he, yes. in Test cricket, he he scored. He played over, uh, you know, close to over 90 games, I think. But he had only four Test hundreds. Whereas Aravinda was was basically in the latter part of the 90s, a run machine in every format of the game. Um, for me and Mahela, I don't think we were ever, 
we ever thought about the pressure of of you know trying to carry on a, a legacy of Arjuna or Aravinda to to us they were great players yes but we had our own roles to fulfill uh, and like you said we batted in completely different positions and um, ours was to try and chase the uh, not just the, the the local records in terms of uh, our local players but also set, you know try and 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 fit it and 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 get to those international benchmarks of at least 300s of at least uh, you know 10000 runs in in every format of the game that we played so those were the things that we were chasing and not just us around us were some of the you know the greatest ever cricketers to play you know murali chamin davas sanjay surya um so on and so forth uh, tm dilshan tiran samaravira there's mavanath patu you know so much talent around us hashan tilakaratna was another oh, yeah. player who i played with uh, at the at the latter end of my career so uh, we had so much uh so many players that we could learn from and 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 really bridge the gap between the 90s the early 2000s and then later on you know right up until 2015 so we had a really good system a really good cricketing culture and after 2000 i think our cricketing culture went from a hierarchical one that was under arjuna ranatunga where senior players were were, were basically the be all and end all of cricket to having a much more equitable uh um cricketing culture within the dressing room past 2000 where it didn't matter whether you were a senior player in terms of years and matches played and experience or whether you were coming into the side for the first time we ensured that we valued individuality we valued opinions uh and and new and different ideas from everyone and everyone had a part to play in in sri lankan cricket so that's how we really looked at it dean and i going back to the, the the test matches in south africa that was the first time i think when i got 98 at centurion that i really thought okay maybe test cricket is for me and i could really hold my own so if anyone asks me what my most significant innings in test cricket was i always go back to that 98 at centurion where i had to open in the second innings yes yes and was last man out to say that was that was a defining moment in my career because in my own mind in my own confidence that's when i realized okay maybe i could really play test cricket um was there a bit of a stigma how how did the team feel about you know there were many people of the press former players um who always said sri lanka are a good side when they're in sri lanka but they're not particularly good even when they play in india and that eventually obviously started changing but especially when they left the subcontinent and they then started touring australia england and south africa they get found out because uh, they you know they they're not comfortable against pace and bounce they're not comfortable against the swinging ball was it something that worried and affected the team is it something that you want to do correct or was it again a situation where you just say you know what we're not going to focus too much on what the people say we just want to focus on ensuring that we uh, are actually able to to deliver the goods uh, no matter where we play how, how did you approach that Well I think for Sri Lanka when we played it was a matter of honor to try and win away from home. We always knew we were the strongest at home and, and no one really could come here and dominate us. Uh but we were all determined to win away from home. Um and that's what really spurred us on. 1998 we went to England. Um the England gave Sri Lanka one test and we 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 hammered England at the Oval. Yes. Murli Dharan took 16 wickets. uh in 2006 we went to to england we drew the 
Test Series um, one all and then hammered England 5-0 in the one-day series. And if you take our World Cup record since, um, uh, since 2003, it's been an exceptional record. I mean, 2003, we made the, the, the semifinals. 2007, uh, 2003 semifinals in South Africa. 2007 in the West Indies and the Caribbean, we made the finals. 2019, 20 World Cup in England, we made the finals. 2011, India, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, we made the final. 2012, T20, we made the final. 2014, T20 World Cup in Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, uh, um, we won. Um, so our, our international record in high-profile tournaments is, is exceptional. 2015, again, we went to the quarterfinals in Australia. Uh, and in 2010, we beat Australia in Australia uh, 2-1 uh, when it came to the one-day series. So... A lot of the performances, you know, we've always, you know, I think we punched above our weight and we took a lot of pride in doing that. And we kind of egged each other on to, to try and get better away from home rather than here. A lot of other countries are satisfied winning at home, whereas, whereas we weren't. So it, it was a challenge that we, we readily accepted and we, we, we relished. Well, the, the South Africans always referred to South Africa's first tour to Sri Lanka after they'd been readmitted uh, to the international scene and arena, and that was in 1993. So you had a formidable bowling attack, and uh, when you and I were still teenagers, Kumar, so you had uh, the yes. likes of Alan Donald and the fiery Brett Schultz, who was just uh, Schultz, incredible. Yeah. Clive Eckstein, the left-arm spinner, Pat Simcox was there. A little, it was a, just a bit before Sean Pollock, but Farney de Villiers had a, had a role to play as well. They, I, I don't know how true this is, but they, they said that when they realized that Sri Lanka had a, a bit of a problem with short pitch bowling was that uh, in net sessions, you had the Sri Lankan players throwing cricket balls at each other's heads to try and simulate a short ball situation because unfortunately Sri Lanka didn't have the pace, well not many people really, had the pace of Brett Schultz and Alan Donald to bowl those bounces. So if you consider, yeah. if, if that story is true of course, if you consider you know, how they were in 1993, fast forward then to maybe say 15, 20 years later when, when, they would have, when Sri Lanka would have toured South Africa, Australia, it just goes to show how much they would have improved touring away from home and especially on the bouncier pitches of Australia and South Africa. Um, absolutely. I think that story will, will hold true. I mean, a lot of the times when we do tour abroad, we prepare for short pitch bowling just in that with tennis rackets and tennis balls or, or on concrete where, you know, you actually have people with bowling machines really, you know, making you work, ducking, weaving, pulling, hooking, defending. Uh, really quick uh, and short bowling. Um, the real key to, to combating uh, fast bowling that we found over the years was to ensure that, you know, you, you practiced well, you were never scared of it, you took it on in terms of wanting the challenge. And when you did that and you, 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 you actually based your technique on, on, on proper principles and fundamentals of the game, you know, playing short pitch bowling is, is, is about the same as playing a great spinner. It takes skill, it takes a bit of courage, uh, and it takes good and solid technique and decision making. It's no different to anything else. I think when we first started, this whole fast bowling, swing bowling, in, 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 uh, or seam bowling around the world in different conditions was, was thought of as, you know, this, this huge demon uh, or an uncharted, unknown frontier that we had to really conquer. And then that would really be the focus 
of everyone's mindset preparing for a tour. And that was not very helpful or positive in terms of looking at, you know, winning opportunities. You rather go into this defensive survival mode. Yeah. And that's, that's a negative. Uh, what we realized was we know what's coming at us, prepare for it. But keep understanding that we have a certain way of playing and winning games and you look for winning opportunities every time you play. So that change of attitude and mindset um, was, was really key, being, being very, very balanced, positive in your outlook and not being completely carried away thinking that fast bowling is all about short pitch bounces. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. That's funny. Michael, Michael Holding from the West Indies also said to me that a lot of people were, are, were badly misled by the pace attack of the West Indies, you know, in the sense that many people thought that, that that bowling attack of himself and Joel Garner and Colin Croft and, and, and the rest would actually bounce people out. But if you actually look at, at their statistics, it wasn't just about short pitch bowling. It was about bowling. Uh, batsman out and, and getting the LBW decision as well, which is which is absolutely correct, Kumar. And I mean, you you must have just looking back at when Sri Lanka won that World Cup in 1996. You would have been 18. I was 19. And um, I, I mean, it's fascinating to think that you would have been a part of a situation where a lot of it you would have watched on TV, maybe been lucky enough to be at the ground. Well, what is it like thinking? That, um, or if you look back now and you'll say to yourself, I was there when my home country won the World Cup, but then I went on to also be a part of a very successful team and I was very successful as an individual. I scored 38 test hundreds. I scored well over 10,000 test runs. My highest score is 318 not out and I've been involved in many successful World Cup uh, tournaments, be it 50 over or T20 over cricket. I would imagine you must look back and, and just say, goodness me, has this really happened? Well, yeah, it, it, it seems a bit surreal at times. But, um, you know, I remember the 1996 World Cup. I think every Sri Lankan who was alive at that time and of a certain age and old enough to understand and love cricket um, will remember that. Um, it was a great, great tournament. Um, again, underdogs, but then... Um, showed great resolve and, and strategy to win that. Um, following on from that, I think it changed the face of Sri Lankan cricket in terms of inspiring a whole new generation of young cricketers who take up the sport, but also made cricket a viable profession rather than it being semi-professional. And that really helped to change the, the input of talent from around the country into the game. And what was once a, a real stronghold of of the middle and upper middle class uh, Sri Lankans uh, who took up the game um, from the from the the more elite schools in Sri Lanka, it really spread to the grassroots, and the outstations started contributing a huge amount of talent and players into the national side. Um, and for me, coming into that side in 2000, again there were a few of the the old stalwarts who played. The World Cup still in the team. My first test tour was Arjuran Tunga's last. I played with Arvinda De Silva for a couple of years and Hashanti Lakaratna, Chamindavas and Murali for much longer and of course Sanat and, uh, and Mahavan. So a huge uh, you know, wealth of knowledge from which to learn. And at the same time, you know, I had the, the confidence uh, and the character to really forge my own path. Uh, and it took a lot of hard work, a lot of planning, uh, and at the end of the day, performing consistently more often than not. To not just keep my uh, my place in the side, but also 
uh, build up a career as an individual and and with the team that I could look back and say, well, I've 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 done a good job. So, um, and then of course all good things come to an end. So in 2015, uh, you know, it's the right time to leave, um, and I did, and I've had uh, no regrets since 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 I did that. And retirement has been very good, and I still look back upon the phase of of my life where I was a cricketer. Um, and I still talk about it with my friends, but it doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's not an all-consuming passion to relive the glory days as such, because uh, in this new phase, there are so many other things that I found, uh, you know, that interested me and gave me and gives me a huge amount of pleasure. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, so it's 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 in 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 my view, you know, it's it, everyone in life has different, you know, phases. Uh, different times that certain things take pride of place and, and importance. And my cricketing days are past. They were fantastic. But now it's a, it's a new phase. It is a new phase as well. And I have to tell you, Kumara, that I, uh, I shed a tear <laughs> when, you, when you retired from international cricket. I was very, very overcome and very sad to see you go. I mean, as you Thank say, you. All, all good things come to an end. Um, Kumar, it has been an absolute joy and pleasure being with you. I had the, the real privilege of actually spending an entire day with you and the team uh, on a coach and in the dressing room back in 2004. I got to hear the the bubbly Mutai Murulithran spending time with me and, and, and you know him being yeah. totally fascinated with me being blind. And um, Chaminda Vas, an incredible singer, I can remember, a strong handshake, and he sang the most incredible, I would imagine that there would have been Sri Lankan love songs. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so that's all about team spirit as well. Being able to to be as professional as you can on the field, uh, but then just Absolutely. be time uh, as relaxed as you as you can. In it's still in a potentially tense environment as well. Absolutely, I think that's that's a real key. Uh, it doesn't matter how you know tough things get on the field, uh, whether you win or lose, you take it equally. And always remember that life goes on and your entire life is not defined by just one phase in your life or one result on a cricketing pitch. But it's, uh, it's kind of an accumulation of experiences over many, many years. Kumar, we're going to conclude now. I'm sure you have lots to do, but there is just one thing I remember that uh, that always bothered me as a very big admirer of yours. It probably is something that was something totally uh, trivial to you and, and of no concern, but to me it certainly was. And that was the fact that you took some time before you scored a Test 100 at Lords, the home of cricket, which you have such yeah. a big part to play as a president of the MCC. Did that affect you in any way? Well, I remember going to Lords the first time and you know, understanding what it meant to get on the honours board. And I think that meant that I put a huge amount of pressure on myself to score that 100. Um, and um, um, I remember on my last tour in England in 2014, uh, everyone was asking me, oh, you haven't got a 100 yet at Lords. Are you going to do it this time because this will be your last appearance here? And I was lying at press, press conferences pretending that it really didn't bother me or I didn't really care. Um, but inside me, I really wanted to get that 100. So I was very lucky. I was very prepared that particular tour. I played for Durham uh, a couple of weeks earlier in preparation. And then when I got to, um, got to Lords, I thought I was, uh, I was in a zone where, you know, from ball one, everything just fell into place. It was one of those days where I couldn't put a foot wrong. And I ended up getting in the 100 that I really, really wanted. Well, Kumar Sangakara, all I can say is it's been a privilege, honor, and pleasure talking to you. Thank you for giving 
me and the listeners some of your your valuable time and wishing you nothing but the very best with everything that you pursue in your future. Thank you, Dean. It's been an absolute pleasure. All the best to you. Thank you, Kumar. Take care. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast. 